chapter 8, if you guys will. We're going to get back into our study. I appreciate the guys filling in last week, and uh, I only have one uh, negative report, and I'll be talking to uh, Phil about that later. So, no, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just Phil's here. Nick's not here. Next hour it'll be Nick. Okay, but uh, no, we had a good. Uh, we had a. I'm glad the guys were able. I listened uh, to them and so forth. So, uh, we'll. Uh, we're. I'm glad that they're able to fill in and willing to do it, as uh, we're going to be gone later in July too. So they'll get another shot, bite at the apple, if you will. All right, Romans chapter eight. Uh, we're here in verse 14 now, so let's read verse 14 uh, through 17. Uh, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, we're coming to the next section here in, uh, in our study in Romans 8. And just as it, it, it's really, we're beginning to, I said it last time, which was two weeks ago now, but when, we, when we're coming down through Romans 8 here, we've been talking about practical sanctification, our walk, our daily thing. Now Paul is shifting. He literally started shifting in verse 9, 10, and so forth into this issue of our position. So positional sanctification and that issue of this new identity. So in chapter 8 now, we're going to move, continue moving and understanding our position, positionally. Who are we? So, and kind of outline the rest of the book, if you will. 8.14 is going to stand by itself. And this is a position statement, a positional statement. And this is who we are. Okay? And then in 8.15 to 17, we're going to see the issue of the provision that we have. Here, and that's going to be that issue of how that we're going to take who we are and how it's going to work out and how it's going to flow and, and what it's going to look like and how we're going to make our position reality. And then in 18 to 39, we're going to see the product. We're going to see the results of all of this and what it's designed to look like in our lives. So we're going to have who we are, how does it work, what's, what's it look like. And we're, again, we're in the back half of chapter 8. We're in a very critical hinge point. Verse 14 is a, is a hinge verse. And, and it's something for the very first time in Paul's teaching us, we begin to learn who we are. Okay. Chapters, think about where we're at in Romans. His first epistle, laying in the foundation. In chapter 1 to 5, we learn all about all that Calvary accomplished. Okay? Chapter 6, we learned we are dead to sin. Chapter 7, we learned we're dead to the law. Now in chapter 8, we're learning several things for the very first time. Okay? We're in these identification truths. 
And that, again, if you need this at your core to make everything else in Paul's epistles run, because if you don't understand who you are, and who, Christ, and who God has made you in his son Christ, then trying to do the good works and trying to live a spirit-filled life is going to be a struggle because then you end up doing it in the energy of your own flesh. In chapter 8, we've, we learned already here that we have a power source, the Holy Spirit, and who's now going to make, who, who then takes and makes all of this a living reality. Now, in verse 14, we're going to learn how, we're going to answer the question, how do we relate to God? How do we respond to God? How, do, how in the world can we have a, how, how does a relate, how does God relate to me? How does God respond to me now? How do we have a relationship here, an intimate relationship? One that where we can cry, Abba, Father, see? That's an intimate cry. We'll talk about that in just a minute, and, and, well, in a little bit, maybe next week, okay? <laughs> we, we're going to learn that there's this relationship that we have with God the Father because of verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? The sons of God. Verse 15, for ye have not received... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, real quickly, before anybody gets bent out of shape, when he says sons of God and children of God, that is all inclusive, male and female, okay? Let's just make sure we understand he's not leaving the ladies out, okay? Uh, you would, I'm amazed at how, if you will allow me to say it this way, stupid people have become about that issue. It just it's amazing to me. And I'm not talking about anybody, I'm talking about grace believers, and it's like, really, you're going to knit. We, we understand it's what? All-inclusive. So I said that. That's all we're going to say about that. There, we are the what? Verse 14, the sons of God. Nothing about, the, about us being sons until now. Now we're going to learn about this relationship, how to respond to God, how to relate to God, how he's relating to us, how he's responding to to us. Nothing before 814 do we learn or does Paul say anything about us being sons of God. He says you're what? Justified. And now you're now you got a sanctification, you got to walk here and your relationship to sin is dead. Your relationship to the law is a dead relationship. You're alive through Christ Jesus, you're alive unto God and so forth. So now Paul is going to begin to press here into our thinking, how God desires to, God desires the riches, how deep and how rich and how personal this relationship is between us and the Father. And he's going to press that. You know, I mean, if you think about it, we are the sons of God. God desires to relate to you in an extremely personal and intimate way, as a son, as an adult. I told the guys a couple men's fellowships ago, God deals with his creation. He wants his creation to always be and always to look at him as adults. 
That's, he doesn't want robots. He wants adults who can, in their own volition, make the decision to come and worship him, obey his word, do his will, and that's what he's desiring. So as we come into this next section and kind of introduce verse 14 this morning, we're going to learn that we're sons, and because of that, we're going to learn how the Holy Spirit is now going to teach us. Now you have to think about this, put your thinking cap on. We've learned that the Holy Spirit is our power source as the one who will make, the re- make all of this, our identity, our new identity in Christ, a reality in the details of our lives. But how does the Holy Spirit produce that life? Well, we're going to learn that here. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to come and he's going to produce within us a life that is in complete, perfect, total harmony with the justice and the righteousness and the holiness of God. He, how, but how does he do it? And that's what we're going to learn here. That's why verse 8, 14 is so critical. We are declared something new here. We're what? Sons. We are then told how the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. So we've got some lessons going on here. And these lessons are critical because this is how he's going to work with us. Now, let's look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, what happens with this verse is there, a lot of people put a condition in this verse. And what they say is, is that if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you are not the Son of God. That's what they say. Guess what? That ain't what he's saying. Okay? They will then come along and say, well, if you're not being led by the Spirit, the, the leading of the Spirit is only reserved for the sons of God. Or they'll say that being a son of God is only reserved for those being led by the Spirit. You follow all that mess? I hope you don't. But you got to, okay? Because it gets, cause that is not what Paul's saying here. Rather, what this is, is this is a statement of what? Fact. Position. Remember, when we started the book of Romans, and I gave you this position, provision, product thing, this is the facts. That's the facts, Jack, as they like to say. This is a statement of fact. The whole, now listen to me. The Holy Spirit can only lead who? The sons of God. That's a declaration regarding how the Holy Spirit is going to work. What's he going to do? He's going to lead the sons of God. Whoops. I need that. Bring it back. If you think about that, what a glorious position we have. What glorious positional truth that is. We are the what? The sons of God. We don't, now look at that, we are, they are the sons of God. We don't become the sons of God. We are. 
We don't achieve to be the sons of God. We are. We don't earn becoming a son. We are a son. You see that? That's completely different. Religion says you've got to do what? Achieve it, earn it, work it out to be. Calvinism is horrific in that. If you don't, I had a wonderful talk with the brother here this past week about the issues of Calvinism and, and what he's gone through, and we were talking about some other things. And, you know, Calvinism in, amongst grace believers is just stupid. Sorry. Because it says God preordained all this to happen, and so dear this and that, and da, 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 da. And it's like, no, he didn't. Because if you think that, what you've done is you've lessened his grace, his mercy, his long-suffering. This is not a conditional statement here. We are. We don't, we don't get because we deserve. We get because we are, see? And that's a critical thing to remember. Now, notice verse 14. Notice he says, for as many as. How, let's look, notice something how Paul uses that. Go back to chapter 2 of Romans. Chapter 2. For as many as. That phrase. Notice chapter 2. Notice verse number 12. Notice that when he uses this, he's not singling out one little group over another group. It's all inclusive. 2.12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. How many of us have sinned? All men. All are sinners, right? That's not one group and then the other group is let go. No, all are sinners. Notice the rest of that verse. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. How many? That's everybody, isn't it? Anyone that's living under the law, what are they going to be judged by? The law. Anyone living over here, again, sinners, living without the law, what are they judged? Ju so th this is everybody. Come over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, <clears throat> chapter 6, and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. See that, as so many of us as were, how, how many? When you got saved, when you trusted the cross work of Christ... How many of you got all of that, got that identification? Everybody did. He didn't say, we're going with the blondes only today. Yeah, good thing is right. You know, now we're going to go with all the bald heads today, right? He didn't say that. He said what? Anyone who's trusted, anyone who is 5'1", I got you, Bob, bald-headed man. Therefore, being justified by faith, anyone being justified now has this new identity. Come over to Galatians 3. So when he says, for as many as, it doesn't say some are and some are not. But rather, it's used as a declaration of who you are. Now when you come to Galatians 3, we begin to find out, some things here about who we are, we, we, about our being sons. And you know what we find out? You're a son whether you like it or not. 
That's what we begin to find out. No matter what you do in life or understand or don't do, you know what? You are a son of God. That's who you are. When the whole, when, when, in 1 Corinthians 12, when we're baptized by the Spirit into the body, when the Holy Spirit places us, when He baptizes us into the body of Christ, He places us in living union with the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, I just don't want, I don't want to get saved because I don't want to have to go to church. I said, who told you you have to go to church? He said, well, that church down there says I have to go to church. I said, well, the Bible never says go to church. He, he said, you should go and learn and be a part of the work. But no, you just need to get saved. And he got saved. And when I left him sitting there, he was still doing his thing. Doesn't say, but, but who is he? He's a son of God. He's a child of God. He has been blessed with all spiritual blessings. He's been made. He just doesn't know how to do what? Study, learn, and access it. See? Look at Galatians 3. Look at verse 10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. For as many as are, everyone under the law is what? There's a cursed, uh, isn't it? Anyone who thinks that way, who thinks that they have to live under the law, is what? Cursed. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it or not, whether you think you're good to go, you're what? For as many as. If you're in that condition, there's your guilt. There's your, your, your result. Verse 26, 326. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have what? Put on Christ. There's our Romans 6, 3. For as many as. We're all baptized into Jesus Christ, whether we like it or not. Whether we said, wait a minute, no, or yeah, put me in twice. You're in. All. It's there. This is all takes place whether we like it or not. So when Paul uses, come back to Romans 8, that phrase, for as many as, this is a... Not a suggestion of, hey, if you want to, you need to opt in. If you don't want to, opt out. We won't bug you no more. No, it's a declaration of who you are. It's the way God is now going to relate to us. Actually, you know what? Go back there to Galatians 4. I'm sorry. I made you move too fast. Galatians 4. It's, a, it's the way that God is now going to relate and to respond to you and I, and that's going to be as sons. That's who he's going to deal with. That's how he's going to deal with us. Look at Galatians 4, and we'll spend some time in Galatians 4, but look at verse 6. Galatians 4 is the great chapter on what the issues of adoption are in Scripture. 
When you think about adoption, we think about taking someone outside of our family and bringing them into our family. That is not adoption in the scripture. That's adoption in how the world thinks. How, in the, how did you get into the family of God? By what? By faith in the cross. So adoption here now has to do not by making you a part of our family, but rather because you are in the family, here's how we're going to deal with you. And it's that issue of sonship. Look at verse 6. And because ye are sons. Again, not conditional here. We possess the position of a son. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, notice something in that verse very carefully. Who are we? We're sons. And because we are sons, we possess that position. Now, we also possess who? The spirit of the son. We now, and where, by the way, where is he? Into your hearts. Okay? So now we possess the position of a son, and we possess the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now going to educate us, teach us, but where is he going to do it? In our hearts. Now, you're in Galatians. Look over at Philippians 2 just real quick here, and then we're going to go back Hold on to Galatians, six-something minute. Look at Philippians 2. Look at verse 13. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh, where? In you. Where does he work when he says in you? Where is he working? In your heart. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Come over to chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 3. You see, when the Spirit is going to work, He's not going to work in the external situations. When we came through Oklahoma, we spent the night, come to find out the next morning, they had a tornado in the area, about 20, 20 25 miles south of us. Thus, all the heavy rain. From, so from that point all the way to Albuquerque was nothing but rain. I mean, it just rained. Cats, dogs, horses, cows, the whole bit. But see, the thing is, is He... so. I told somebody, oh, God protected you. God didn't protect me. It just happened it was 25 miles south. If it had been up the street, guess what would have happened? Well, we'd probably still be in Oklahoma City area right now trying to dig out. You know, It would have been bells and whistles going off, and we'd have been heading down to the, you know, the bottom of the uh, hotel. <laughs> See, people think that God's going to work, and he's working in that external, but what did Philippians 2.13 tell you? Where does he work? In you, in your hearts, Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That, here's why you're going to be strengthened. Here's why the spirit's strengthening the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? By faith. So when you come back into Galatians 4, and he says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. The Holy Spirit now, he's, he's going to start working in our inner man. Why? Because you're a son. Because you belong to the family of God. 
hold on here, run back to Romans 5. We've already been introduced to this idea in Romans. Romans 5 and verse 5. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The love of God is what been what? Shed abroad. Every nook and cranny of your life, the love of God is hit. Every piece of it. He is, but where is he? He's in our hearts. All the corners, all of it, come back to Galatians 4. All of that has been dealt with. Galatians 4 verse 6. Galatians 4 and verse 6. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have His love residing in our inner man. We have the Spirit of his son residing in our inner man. And that causes us to cry something here. It causes us to cry, Abba. By the way, notice there's a comma there. Abba. And then Father. Now, not Abba, the rock and roll group, okay? You know, all right? But Abba, Father. We're going to find out as we move through this section in Romans 8, that only Paul uses this expression. And the cry here, come back to Romans 8 now, is, actually you're in Galatians 4, just sit there for just a second. This cry here is a cry, it's here to give a voice to our status our position, that it is equal to that of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, position. He cried it. We're going to see it in Mark. We'll just see it in a minute. But we can cry it. I, it's, in, in other words, when we cry, Abba, Father, it's like we're saying, I have a relationship with the Father just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. Now, before you go, that's blasphemy. That's Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because we've been so identified, that code, death, burial, and resurrection, we've been so identified with Christ. We have literally His DNA now, spiritually speaking, okay? For us to say, Abba, Father, is, this, is I have that same relationship with the Father, just as Jesus Christ has. And this is why Paul uses the term in connection with who we are. To cry, Abba, Father, is not to just say, I'm a son. It's actually deeper than that. It's I have a relationship with the Father like the, the Lord Jesus Christ does. 
Think about the Father. He set his affections and his love upon his Son. He sent his only begotten Son. He sent his, you know, he sent his, the second member of the Godhead. (laughs) And you know what he does with you and I? He sets that same love, that same affection on us as well. And that's really what that term Abba Father is talking about. Now, no one other than Paul uses that. Hold on to, let Galatians 4 go. Go back to Romans 8. And that's why 8.14 is so critical to catch. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How are we led by the Spirit? How does the Spirit work? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look over there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're not done with Abba Father yet, so just we've got to kind of lay in some things here. 1 Corinthians 2. How does the Spirit lead? You know, I, I saw a meme on Facebook and it had some stuff. It was and it had the pigs with the rings in the nose and you know, just talking about people being led around by the nose, you know, and everything with the vaccine and the COVID and all that mess. And, and that's how people sometimes think the spirit leads, that he just grabs you by the nose and he pulls you. And that's not how he leads. As many as are led by the spirit, how does he lead? How does the spirit then lead? Well, look, if you will, here in in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost, what? Teacheth. What does he use? He uses words. He uses the words on the page of God's word on the page of Scripture. That's why the Bible issue and the fact that you have To have the word of God is so critical. Come over to Galatians 5. We've been through this passage in Galatians 5. So how does the Spirit lead? He uses the word of God. By the way, the word of God rightly divided. (laughs) And for us English-speaking folks, it's in the King James Bible. That's where it's at. Look at Galatians 5 and look at verse 18. Here's another way the Spirit leads. But if... Ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. You know that the Spirit will never lead you to be under the law. Because the law is completely opposite of what the Spirit is doing. Remember Romans 8? Go back to Romans 8. You've got to kind of put put these little junkets together. Romans 8, verse 2. Romans 8, verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. How does the spirit lead me? He's going to use the word of God, rightly divided. He's never going to lead me to live under law, legalism, legalistic principles. He's going to come along and he wants us to have life in Christ Jesus. So he's going to set us free. So when he says there in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit is only working with sons of God. He's not working with other people. He's not working in other areas. And he's going to use the Word of God to educate us so that, we're then in or- so that we then can understand how to relate 
to and respond to the Father. You, you following? Okay. When we, when we relate to God the Father, we literally are relating to Him outside of ourselves. We're relating to Him through His Word. So this verse 14 becomes critical. Okay? They are the sons of God. Verse 15 for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. By the way, what's the spirit of bondage again to fear? What is that? Law. Galatians over there, the weak and beggarly elements. We didn't get that. We're not being led that way. But rather, we receive the spirit of adoption, and we'll talk about that next time, whereby we cry, Abba, again, comma, Father. So, and the reason I point that comma out is because everybody runs that together and says, Abba, Father. But he's not. He's saying, Abba, and then Father. Because then what happens here is that people then delve into defining the word Abba. And they say it's Daddy. And it isn't Daddy. <laughs> hey, Daddy-o. <laughs> no, it ain't that at all. You see, it's rather something more, it's something, it, it, again, it's, when the Lord Jesus Christ says this on Calvary, he's 33 years old. I don't call my dad daddy. I call him dad. Or I call him father. Right? Okay? I don't sit there and say, hey, daddy-o, what you doing? You know? No. You can just see that, yeah. And I pick myself up off the floor. <laughs> right? You see, we are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us. He can, the Holy Spirit can only lead the sons of God. And what he leads us into is an adult conversation. So that word Abba, it has to do with the adult that understands what's going on. It's the language of a relationship. Of a, it's a language of understanding it's a language of trust. It's a language of motiva proper motivation and dependence upon. It's not this child talk thing. It's the language of an adult. It's a cry of an adult in response to what the father is doing. The first time we hear it, for us, here in Romans 8, we get to cry it. We get to say it. Now come back to Mark 14. Mark 14. We see the Lord Jesus Christ cry it. So we get to do the same thing. Why? Because we, we have the same relationship with the Father that the Son had. We have it. He has it. That's why in verse in 8.17, when he says, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, we're that joint heir. We have the same thing. The same. In Ephesians 3, he says, or in Ephesians 1, he says, we have obtained an inheritance. We're an heir of God. Titus defines that heir of God as the issue what we're, of eternal life. But then he says, but a joint heir with Christ. Okay? 
what is Christ getting? He has eternal life. We have eternal life. But what has the Father said that the, that the Lord, His Son, is going to get? Ephesians 1.10. He's going to be the head over all things in the dispensation of fullness of times. So what do we get to do? We get to participate in that head over all things. We, we are, by the way, we are not the head. He's the head. We are the what? The body. But what the God, the God the Father gave to God the Son, He's given to you and I, that we get to participate in the ruling in the universe. We get to participate in that. That's fantastic. Because He says, what are you? You're a son. And because you're a son, we have this, you can cry something no one else can cry. And that's Abba, Father. Now look at Mark 14 here. When the Lord cries it here, verse 36, when the Lord cries it here, this cry, it's an announcement of a relationship that the Lord has with the Father. So guess what? It is the same for us. It's a cry of our relationship with the Father. Notice 1436. Now, again, notice where, where the Lord is. We're in the garden. Verse 32, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit he, ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to, to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So he goes to the garden. He's got the, the, the eleven with him. I'm sorry, the 12, well, the 11, because Judas is left with him. He says, he looks at Peter, James, and John and says, come with me. He leaves them there. You pray, watch. By the way, what'd they end up doing? Falling asleep, okay? Heavy eyes and boom, you know? Heavy eyes and warm coats, and the next thing you know, you're snoozing, all right? Then he pulls Peter, James, and John over here, and he gets a little closer to him. Could you imagine being in earshot of the Lord as he prayed in the garden, what he's about to pray, and falling asleep? I don't know. It would be, I'd be pretty, pretty on, on edge to not. Verse 35, And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Notice verse 36 carefully. What, notice what the Lord says. He says, Abba, then he says, Father, all things are what? Possible unto thee. Notice the relationship that the Son is having with the Father. He's acknowledging something, isn't he? Because he then says, take away this cup from me. What the Lord is acknowledging is the plan of the Father. What is the plan of the Father for the Son? He's going to go die for the sins of Israel. Ultimately, through the revelation to Paul, the sins of the world. Okay? 
But what is the son doing here by crying, Abba? I'm on the same page with you, Father. Your will is the issue. What's your will? Your will is for me to go die. Your will is for me to drink of this cup. But hey, can you take it away from me? Now, the Lord obviously knows that answer. Okay? Because what does he know? He knows the plan of the Father. He knows the will of the Father. He knows what the Father wants done. So now notice what he says. Nevertheless, not what I will. By the way, what was the Son's will? Not to go through the cup. Not to go to Calvary. But he says, I'm not here doing my will. I've humbled myself. I've become obedient unto the death of the cross. Not me. Not I. I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do your will. So that's what we're going to do. You guys following what we're saying here? Because the Lord is a son. He's an adult. He's not a little child being directed. He's making a declaration here of, I know what the Father's plan is, and I am willing and, del- and willing to go through with it. So much so for that Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Think about a son, because we're going to be talking about sonship for the next couple, mo- couple months, no, couple weeks, I hope. He, this, what does the son do? He says, here's the plan of the father. I'm going to go do it willingly, not being directed, not being told to do it. And I'm going to delight in doing it. You follow that? That's a son. What's the will of the father? Let's go do that. Then let's come over here and Let's delight in doing it. Now, come to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Because here's Matthew's account of the same passage. Matthew 26. Let me check something just real quick. Twenty-six. Okay. Matthew 26, verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Abba, Father. No, he didn't say that here, does he? He says what? Oh, my Father. Isn't that interesting? Mark, by the way, is the only gospel that records him saying, Abba, Father. And it's interesting, we're starting to study Mark on Wednesday nights, and Mark depicts the Lord as the servant. Here he is, he took on the form of a servant. And he has a relationship with the Father as a son. Can't lose the significance in that. In Mark, he's a, you see the actions and the activities. Actually, Mark is one of the... Uh, is probably the only gospel that records the chronological events in the Lord's life. The other three gospels pick and choose and do because they're presenting a portrait. Mark, and, 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 bam, bam. And he's the one, as the servant of Israel, comes in and says, cries the same thing we cry. 
Abba. Matthew 20, notice 26, 39. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So what people then say was that Abba is a translation of oh, my. Guess what? It in a translation of oh, my. Rather, it's explaining the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ is expressing to the Father. How does the Lord relate to the Father? What does He say? My Father. The very object of the Lord's desire is who? The Father. The Lord Jesus Christ here When he says, oh, my father, when he says, Abba, father, he is claiming a relationship of trust. Not just saying, my dad, my father, but rather he's saying, I trust you. You are my motivation. I understand all that this is about to happen to me, and I'm trusting the plan. I'm trusting your word. I'm depending on you because you are my father. You're my reason. You're my dependence. You're you're who I'm after. (laughs) That's what Abba is. Abba's not this, you know, yo, hey. It's a cry of an adult. And as the Lord hangs here, he is act. By the way, the rest of the passage is, what does he do? He goes and he's, as it is written, fulfilling scripture, goes and has those seven sayings. And you know what he says? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That intimate, okay? By the way, why does the Father have to forgive them? Because Christ is no longer in a position to forgive. He has become a worm. My God, my God, why hast thou... Notice he says, Father, forgive them. And then, my God, my God, why hast thou... Actually, he says, my God first. (laughs) There's a shift here. He says, Father, and then he says, my God, why? There's a shift in the relationship. That's, That's critical here. So when you come back, what's that? Yeah, exactly. So come back to Romans 8. So when we talk here in verse 14, and, a little, and we'll do some more in verse 15 because of, of the next time some, the stuff over in Galatians there. But verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. How? Who does the Spirit of God lead? The sons of God. It's a declaration statement. It isn't a conditional, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're not living according to the golden rule, if you're not obeying the Ten Commandments, it isn't that at all. It's are you justified? Are you in your, as you in your identity of, of being dead to sin and being dead to the law and having a power center of the Holy Spirit, being dead to the flesh, the first 13 verses of Romans 8, you now have a relationship where you can go in now and you can cry. You can talk like an adult. Now, adults, we still learn and grow. We don't know everything. Okay? 
He's not saying you know everything. He's just saying, I'm going to treat you like an adult. You're the sons of God. You think about Adam and Eve. Come back there to Genesis 2. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. I think about Adam and Eve because that's where Paul takes us back to most, <laughs> most of the time. In Genesis 3, we have the fall with Eve taken of the, of, the, of, the of the grape there. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. The first introduction of religion, covering up their sin, Operation Fig Leaf, we call it. And what are they doing? By the way, why in the world would you take fig leaves? They're a little scratchy and itchy, and yet they, boom, that's what they did. But you know why they did it? Can I tell you why they did it? Hold on to Genesis. Come over to Colossians. It's Colossians 2, 23. Hold on to Genesis. Maybe we'll get back there. Maybe not. Colossians 2, verse 23. Start in verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to, the per to perish with the using. After the commandments and doctrines of men. Why are you sucked up in that religious system over there? That's what taste not, touch not, all that is. Handle not, that's religion. Verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in what? Will worship, I'm doing it my way, your will, and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. You see that thing about neglecting of the body, will worship, and humility? That's what religion produces in you. So you know what? Come back to Genesis 3. So you know what happens? You get those, the religious sects that sit there and they say, if you sin, take that little thing and beat yourself with it. Bam, bam, flog yourself and all that crazy stuff. The self-mutilation. What Adam and Eve are doing is just that. They took the stickeriest leaf out there and made up an apron so that they could do what? Have a little will worship, have a little neglecting of the body, and being able to say, look at how we are truly sorry for our sins, and look at how we're beating ourselves up about it. Now go back to Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, by the way, that's the sun, that's Jehovah, the sun, amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He's now going to hold Adam accountable. He's going to hold Adam accountable as a son, as an adult. Where are you, Adam? Now, do you think the Lord knew where he was? I think he did. I think he knew he was over there hiding behind the, the bramble tree, you know. All right, the brambles, have, they're not there yet. The thorns and the thistles come here in a minute, okay. Somebody asked me why God made mosquitoes. 
I said, he didn't make mosquitoes until after the fall. <laughs> you know, I know. I, I, some, did somebody ask me that here? I don't remember. Anyway. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see the response there? That response is not of, of, of an adult, of a son. That's a response of a, of a sinner, of a fallen creation now. He says, come, Adam. He's, he, God looks at Job and says, come, let's talk. Where were you when I f created the foundations? Where were you? Speak to me like a man would speak to me. And usually we say, oh, he's all grown up. And he's not. He's like, no, how does a man think about this? Adam isn't thinking properly. He's done what? He's fallen. Now he has to be what? Educated. He's got to be educated. That's why he's the rest. That's why you're going to see down in verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden till, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man. What's going on? God says, you're going to act like a, we're, now we're going to treat you like an adult, but you are what? You're fallen. So I have to educate you, so now we're going to educate you in animal sacrifice. Where did the skins come from? Animal sacrifice. How did they know how to make clothes and cover up? Because God showed them, here's animal sacrifice. How do you know it? The next chapter. What does Adam do with Cain and Abel? In the time, he shows them it's time to bring a sacrifice. Where are we going to bring the sacrifice? Down over to the cherubs over there. And it's got to be a lamb. It's got to be this. Cain brings of his own effort. Adam or uh, Abel brings the right one. God says no. God says yes. And then we got the first murder, you know. Uh, all of that just didn't happen because the sun came up the next day. What's happening? The Holy the God is educating man. Follow that. Go back to Romans 8, verse 14. All that was sidelined from 8.14. God has always wanted His creation to be adults. Adults make, make decisions of their own free will and then they are held accountable for that decision. When God's looking for Adam and Eve in the garden there after the fall, it's to hold them accountable, not to let them off the hook. That's why when Eve said, the devil made me do it, which was after Adam said it was the woman, she'd made me do it. And the first shift-blaming excuses get in. That's why people do it. It's, it's been what? It's down in their DNA now. And God says, no, you're both accountable. Eve, this is your struggle. Adam, here's your struggle. By the way, in, in, in Adam, it's not the sweat of his brow. It's the sweat of his face. That's different. You can sweat by walking down the street. I do. But man, when you've been working, you have the sweat all in your face. Adam, you're going to work now. So Paul says, 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So now you and I, we can cry, Abba, Father, the end of verse 15 there. Why? Because we're adults. And that's how God's going to relate to us, is as adults. How's he going to respond to you and I? As adults. Do you know what you do with children when they disobey? You, bend, you corporal punishment, don't you? You bend them over your, your leg, your knee, and, and you discipline them. But how do you discipline adults? Same way. <laughs> we wish. No, you have a what with them? A conversation. And literally, that's how the Lord does discipline. All scriptures given is profitable for doctrine. For what? Reproof, correction, instruction. All that's conversation talk. Okay? We'll pick up verse 14 and go down. Just remember, it's not a condition. This is a statement of fact. You're the son of God. You're an adult. And that's how he's going to relate to you. And the only, the only per people that the Holy Spirit can go lead and teach and talk to are people who are sons of God. Okay? So if you're in Christ, what are you? A son of God. Therefore, you have the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart so that he can then do what with you? Teach you using his word. Okay? All right, long way around to get back to zero. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the instruction here in your word. We thank you for who we are in your son, for the identification truths that we're learning here and seeing. And Lord, I just pray that they will grip our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our lives so that we can then go out and be the sons of God, act like adults for you. In your name we pray, amen.